previously on the 32-minute podcast. We make TMJ about pain. My perspective is TMJ is about occlusion and airway. By the time it hurts, it's usually later into the process. TMD is definitely too minimally diagnosed. What we have been told is that most TMD problems primarily are muscular in nature. And I used to believe that till I started imaging. When you image on a consistent basis, what you realize is that many of the TMD problems have more than a muscular component to it. In my practice is probably somewhat unique because I do have dentists that will refer me TMJ patients. But if you think about that in a general practice, there's a couple ways to think about this. If you see 24 patients a day between the regular dentist and hygiene, five to eight of those fall into that category that may have a joint-based problem, and that's just the females. When you add the males to it, when I was a young dentist, I was taught that it was the occlusion. And then if you didn't have a balanced occlusion, the lateral turga would contract and pull the disc off the bone. Even though that theory has always been in question in the literature, what I started to realize when I started imaging is that many times the younger patients, the 13, the 14, the 15 year old class two patients, hadn't had their teeth long enough to grind hard enough to pull the disc off. When I listen for history, I listen for those types of things. If they've had orthodontic treatment with headgear, many times that retracts the, retracts the maxilla or holds it to let the lower jaw catch up. The reason why the lower jaw needs to catch up is because it's not growing well because the disc is off. Normal adult ramus lines will be in the range from, let's say, 60 millimeters for a real small person. It could be up to 75 millimeters for a real big person. I can have a four millimeter shift from a pretty significant class two to maximum intercuspation, and I don't even see it. That's why if you just check the bite on how they close together, if we have a click and we open and close and we click, Ligand's been, been torn and the disc is forward. In this episode. Is it if it's a joint problem, the joints will adapt. If it's a muscle problem, we can get the muscles working the way they should be. And if it's a tooth problem, we can get the teeth fitting together. It's, it's going to be like anything else in dentistry. We're going to look at the anatomy and how structurally altered is the anatomy. Think of it like periodontal disease. You can have a three millimeter pocket, you could have a six millimeter pocket, you could have a nine millimeter pocket. Each of those will have different treatment options. In terms of getting the teeth to fit together, Pete Dawson taught me this a long time ago. It's the four R's. Reshape, which is equilibration, reposition, which is orthodontics, restore, which is either indirect or direct restorations, or resect, which would be orthodontic surgery. If you have anatomy that is compromised at the joint level, we can do all we can at the tooth level. But if you have eroded bone where the cortical plate is jagged, you may not be able to get that patient comfortable. The last option is when these are the hardest cases where the bones involved, the short ramus cases, the small bone cases. And in those cases, sometimes what you can do is you can augment the condyle with a rib 
do some type of rib graft, or you can do a complete artificial joint replacement. Hi there, Jim. Uh, this is Dr. Moyes Kakiani. I am a prosthodontist from the city of Mumbai in India. And Dr. Mayur Davda, he gives me this opportunity to ask you about a question that I am personally frequently asked. We have a lot of great articles on what happens anatomically if there's changes. The problem is we don't have a lot of great articles on treatment outcomes because most of the treatment outcome studies have been done without regard to the condition of the joint. So until we can have studies, treatment outcome studies, that more specifically match the structural condition of the joint, if we don't see it, then it becomes mysterious and it becomes scary and you don't know what to think. Once you see it, it's the same as treatment planning anything else in dentistry. This is episode 25 of the 32-minute podcast with Dr. Jim McKee, DDS. Let's talk about intervention, sir. Uh, after that, I'll probably conclude the podcast interview. Okay. How would you go about uh, planning for treatment? Uh, do we have conservative options? Do we have intermediate options? And do we have advanced options to cater to? I'm really sure that um, it depends upon the severity. Um, but how do you categorize your treatments and suggest to your patients? Great way to think about it. It's, it's going to be like anything else in dentistry. We're going to look at the anatomy and how structurally altered is the anatomy. Mm -hmm. Think of it like periodontal disease. Mm -hmm. You can have a three millimeter pocket. You could have a six millimeter pocket. You could have a nine millimeter pocket. Yeah. Each of those will have different treatment options. Mm -hmm. Basically, I kind of think about it in three ways. If we have a joint or occlusal problem, mm -hmm. we can treat it at the tooth level. So we can change how the upper and lower jaws contact. And what we're going to hope is that if it's a joint problem, the joints will adapt. If it's a muscle problem, we can get the muscles working the way they should be. Mm -hmm. And if it's a tooth problem, we can get the teeth fitting together. Mm -hmm. So that's treating at the tooth level. Yeah. We can do that indirectly and not change the teeth with like some type of bite appliance, some type of an occlusal appliance. We could add medications to that if they have pain issues, maybe a muscle relaxant, maybe mm -hmm. non anti-inflammatories, maybe something mm -hmm. to help them decrease clenching. Mm -hmm. um, we could use chiropractic and physical therapy um, mm -hmm. to maybe help some of the muscles, to help some of the upper cervical spine issues. Uh, we could do injection, it's like okay. diagnostic nerve blocks. A lot of times people will talk about Botox as a way to treat yeah, it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So those are all the indirect options. And with all those, what you're doing is you're changing the way things fit. You're hoping that the tissues will adapt. Mm -hmm. In terms of getting the teeth to fit together, Pete Dawson taught me this a long time ago. It's the four R's. Mm -hmm. Reshape, which is equilibration. Reposition, which is orthodontics. Restore, mm -hmm. which is either indirect or direct restorations. Or resect, mm -hmm. which would be orthodontic surgery. So that's treating at the tooth level. And for patients and dentists, that's where most of the conversation revolves. We try to work at the tooth level. I'm going to tell you things. Sometimes we have to work at the joint level because mm -hmm. if you have anatomy that is compromised at the joint level, we can do all we can at the tooth level. 
But if you have eroded bone where the cortical plate is jagged, you may not be able to get that patient comfortable. If you have small bone because the bone didn't grow because the disc came off early in life, you may not be able to get the bite to fit together with a stable result. If you have swelling in the marrow space because you've got edema in the, in the middle of the condyle, again, that patient may not be able to get comfortable. If you've got a large disc sitting out in front of the condyle, it may not be able to get by it. So the anatomy is going to drive the treatment planning discussion. Mm -hmm. Typically, if we look at the next option, that's treating at the soft tissue level. And arthrocentesis and arthroscopy used to be the more common ways in the earlier days. We don't see those as much anymore. The options that tend to be used more are disc repair, where you put the mm -hmm. disc back on top, or a disc replacement, where you take the disc out and replace it with abdominal fat. Oh. Um, and again, that works really well. Um, I've had a lot of experience with Mark doing cases like that, and it's worked extremely well. The last option is when these are the hardest cases where the bone's involved, the short ramus cases, the small bone cases. And in those cases, sometimes what you can do is you can augment the condyle with a rib, do some type of rib graft, or you can do a complete artificial joint replacement. The goal is to do the least amount you can. So typically we try and work at the tooth level unless the anatomy is so compromised that we have no other choice. So that's kind of a broad brush on interventions. But again, the anatomy will drive that. And that's why the imaging is so, I think, critical to the discussion. Mm -hmm. We can't have a realistic prognosis discussion with the patient. In the, in the patient's, who have a complete herniated disc where the disc is off at the lateral and medial mm -hmm. without seeing the anatomy. I think it's something to do with dentistry. You always try to be as conservative as we can, and that's the key to a successful treatment plan. I agree. Mm -hmm. It was really nice to uh, know about all these things, which I personally was not really aware about. And now it's time for the pro talk. Uh, I'm a general dentist, actually, so my questions would not be that great uh, so I actually invite over somebody from uh, um, the same topic as the guest speaker and uh, I record one question from their side and put it across to the guest speaker in this case it's you and uh, maybe you, you can answer it for him sure sure so I'll just play the question now and once the question stops I'll be looking forward to the answer from you sir okay okay yeah hi there Jim uh, this is Dr. Moes Kakiani. I am a prosthodontist from the city of Mumbai in India. And Dr. Mayur Davda, he gives me this opportunity to ask you about a question that I am personally frequently asked, uh, especially when I take lectures on full mouth reconstruction and temporomandibular joint disorders and their prosthetic management. Uh, this is to do with the concept of deprogrammation and allowing the condyle to reposition into its uh, centric relation, uh, whereby we are uh, actually decreasing the patient's airway space. Uh, so the question here is, uh, when I am treating a patient with some form of uh, obstruction in the airway, as well as a temporomandibular joint disorder, what should be my condylar position? Should I be looking at uh, working in centric relation at the cost of airway or should I be using a convenience position that is anterior to CR 
thereby allowing the patient an adequate amount uh, of uh, airway, not creating an obstruction for the same. Thank you so very much. That's a great question. Here's my thoughts on it. When we talk about condylar position, we talk well, when we talk about centric relation, typically we're talking about condylar position. And typically we're talking about a superior position in the joint socket. And if we have true centric relation, which by definition mm -hmm. includes not only condylar position, but condylar condition, because it specifies that there's a disc properly interposed. So if the disc is where it's supposed to be, we're not going to have that big a bite shift. So if you have a joint that has true centric relation, that's a structurally intact joint, you can absolutely use that as your treatment position because the shift is going to be, if there's a bite shift, it's almost always going to be less than two millimeters, probably closer to a millimeter, and you're not influencing the airway anatomy that much. Here's the problem. Most of the time that discussion comes when you have a larger bite shift. So am I going to seat the condyles back to have the advantage of centric relation, which is the load-bearing capability and the ability to build to a stable, repeatable position because the disc is there like a gasket positioning the condyle in the joint socket? Here's the flaw in the thinking. If you've got that big a bite shift, the disc probably isn't there. So all of a sudden, we're thinking we're using centric relation and seating the condyles, when in essence, we have a potentially unstable joint that we're not recognizing. So, in the patients who you use a superior condylar position, I'm not going to say centric relation because that means the disc is there. So instead, I use the term a fully seated condylar position. If you use a fully seated condylar position and you have a huge slide, that's a problem. Because in those cases, if you build in the most superior position, you can't constrict the airway. The problem is they might not be the best position for the joint anyway. Because many times those positions are not centered in the joint socket. They're actually posterior mm -hmm. in the joint socket because the disc is sitting anterior. So we're thinking we're building in the joint socket when actually we're building posterior to the center of the joint socket. So that may not be the position to use. That's why in the cases with the larger shifts, the MRI is vital to the treatment planning discussion because it drives the discussion on treatment planning, and especially condylar position in treatment planning. So basically, what we're going to do is we're going to choose the treatment position that is the least far forward with the medial pole being covered. So when we image with an MRI, we take in a seated position. Is the disc covering the medial pole in the seated position? If it is, build with the joints in the socket. If it's not, does the disc cover the condyle at the medial pole and maximum near If it does, 
build there. If not, then go to the incisal alleged position. Does the disc cover the medial pole in the incisal edge position? If it does, then we have a decision. Because generally, we can't build out that far. So either we're going to build off the disc and know that, or we're going to do something to try and reattach or replace the disc. That's the whole discussion on treatment position for rehabs, airway or non-airway based, to be honest with you. Does that make sense? Awesome. Uh, yes, absolutely, sir. And thank you so much for answering that for Moins. I'm sure he's going to be really, really happy and looking forward to listening to this one. I actually read one more article that uh, you had written. It's not related to our topic today, but uh, in 2015, Dr. Richard Horton, the Lancet's editor-in-chief, wrote an essay outlining the issues uh, seen today when trying to practice evidence-based dent dentistry. He writes, uh, the case against science is straightforward. Much of the scientific literature, perhaps half, maybe simply be untrue, affected by studies with small sample size or tiny effect, uh, invalid exploratory analysis and flagrant conflicts of interest together with an obsession for uh, pursuing fashionable trends of dubious importance. Science has taken a turn towards darkness. As one participant put it, poor methods get results. What's your take on evidence-based dentistry? How good is the evidence that we have today? I think that's an excellent quote. In the field of temporomandibular joint issues and occlusion, we have a lot of great articles on what happens anatomically if there's changes. Mm -hmm. The problem is we don't have a lot of great articles on treatment outcome because most of the treatment outcome studies have been done without regard to the condition of the joint. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. So you'll have an equilibration or a splint article that will say a patient had a TMD problem and we treated it with a splint. A TMD problem is too minimally diagnosed. A TMD problem could be a simple click at the lateral pole, which would be easy to treat, versus a disc that's completely mm -hmm. off with eroded, jagged bone that would be very difficult to treat. So until we can have studies, treatment outcome studies, that more specifically match the structural condition of the joint, it's going to be hard to have evidence-based studies that give us guidance on treatment options. That's the biggest problem I see today. Mm -hmm. I've been really fortunate. I've written a review of literature that's published uh, annually in the Journal of Prosthetic Dentistry um, for the American Academy of Restorative Dentistry, mm -hmm. and I've done that since 2012, so I've read a lot of literature. Mm -hmm. And again, I have to credit Pete Dawson for teaching me that. Pete really turned me on to reading literature. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I've read a lot of literature over the years, and I, I have to tell you, that is a huge problem. Mm -hmm. The other side of the coin that's good, though, we're seeing more image-based studies come mm -hmm. out today than we ever have in the past. So we're going to have good information coming. We just have to always question the article when you look at the methods and materials part of the study in terms of how the information was gathered and what they're really studying. Uh, my last question would be, if, if people want to uh, explore this field further, what would be your suggestion for resources? 
it's spare education. We're really bringing this material to the curriculum. Um, Gary DeWood and I teach mm -hmm. an advanced occlusion workshop that covers this material in depth. It's a three day program and it's, it's a great course. Mm -hmm. Um, Mark Piper and I teach study clubs together. Um, so that would be another way to do that. That information would be found at Piper Education and Research. And those would probably be the two, the best resources. As I said, Mark Piper is the guy that developed the concepts that I've been talking about. And again, he and I have taught together for a long time now. So those would be the two places, either Piper Education or Spear Education. You'd be able to get more information on it. But I really think for every dentist, it's dentist, it's material you use every day. You know, you can talk about aesthetics, implants, endo, composite, whatever. We, we treat occlusion on every patient we see. So for me, it's been such a, a confident way to practice because the occlusion, the occlusal problems and the TMD problems are most of the times the ones that I was least confident with coming out of school. Yeah, I totally agree with that because that's not really covered in depth in um, dental schools. That's a three day program. Is that what you said? Uh, could you just give us a roundup on what all is a part of the curriculum? It's it's really the the three day program is a really neat course. Mm -hmm. We start out day one morning. We talk about imaging. We get people used to look at imaging. We talk about how imaging or how the joint impacts occlusion, how joints impact the airway, mm -hmm. how it impacts aesthetics. In the afternoon, then we start to do some treatment planning exercises, mm -hmm. and we talk about how to recognize the problems in patients. We'll talk about history. We'll go through our examination. Um, we'll do a lot of hands-on. We put a lower appliance mm -hmm. in. We talk about when you should use appliances. We talk about when to order MRIs and CBCTs and what you can learn from that. And then we have a number of cases that we treatment plan, some pretty easy, some more difficult. And then the last afternoon on day three is all practice management and implementation. How do you make this work in your practice? It's a, it, I'm biased, but I think it's a great three days. I put the course together. Mm -hmm. It's, um, it was very well received. We just did our first one last month. Um, we were supposed to do it earlier, but because of COVID, we had to reschedule it. So, oh, you, you did conduct one program last month, uh, on site. Yes. On site. We wow. were on site in Scottsdale. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. So you, it was nice to be on site, to be honest. <laughs> you started, you resumed your on site work. That's really nice to know. Nice talking. Uh, I really enjoyed interviewing you. Uh, what was your experience like? I loved it. It was really an honor. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. I just had a great time. Thank you. Thank you for being there. Just the last question. Um, the three-day program that you mentioned right now, uh, whom would you uh, suggest that to? Um, beginners as well as advanced uh, dentists? Uh, what's your take on that? It doesn't matter. It's easy for the young dentist to take up uh, and understand this, the protocols and... Oh, it's, sure. Okay. To be honest, most people coming to the course have never imaged. Oh, okay, yeah. So mm -hmm. everyone starts at the beginning and we move people up. It's not hard to do. I am going to tell you now, for the changes that you make in your practice to implement imaging, when you look at the benefits that that brings... It's not bad at all. Believe me, it's it's very doable. Mm -hmm. It's very doable, and I'm sure that's. I guess honestly, we've made TMJ too complicated. Okay, because okay. 
we've had to guess at it mm -hmm. because we don't know what it looks like. Mm -hmm. Once you know what it looks like, everyone says this is a really complicated joint. This is not that complicated okay. joint. Mm -hmm. There's the condyle, there's the disc, and there's the joint socket. Mm -hmm. That's it. We just did not see it enough. If we don't see it, then it becomes mysterious and it becomes scary and you don't know what to think. Once you see it, it's the same as treatment planning anything else in dentistry. Mm -hmm. You look at the anatomy and you know what your treatment planning options are. Right. And I'm sure after the three-day program as well, um, if there are questions, I'm sure the participants would be able to connect with you on email. Absolutely. That's that's awesome. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Jim McKay. Uh, it was a real pleasure to have you on the 32-minute podcast. And uh, I wish you all the best for the rest of the day. I look forward to that and I wish you the same and thank you. It was such an honor. It was a real treat for me today. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is all we have time for in this episode of the 32-Minute Podcast. Do check out all our blogs, contests, events, and other episodes on 32minute.com. If you have questions for any of the speakers interviewed on my podcast or if you are someone who has valuable information or experience that can help the listeners or if you would want me to call a particular guest on my show, please mail me on podcast at 32minute.com. I'm also open to your suggestions and ideas to make the show more helpful and exciting. Don't forget to join our Telegram group for all the updates on our activities on the 32minute podcast. I release an episode every Sunday morning, so do subscribe to my podcast to get an alert when I release the next episode. Please remember, it takes 30 hours of hard work for a single episode on the podcast. So if you like the show, please leave a review and a rating on my podcast. This is your host, Dr. Mayur Davda, signing off for now. I'll meet you in the next episode of my podcast. Till then, keep listening, keep learning.